Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Good afternoon, everybody. It is the Steve Jones Show on a Tuesday. Matt Catrillo here with you. Steve will soon be there from the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Humble's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai, lots of pre-owned inventory. A great sales staff as well that will help you find the right car you're looking for at the right price. They're not just in for the sale. They're also in to make sure that everything is right for you and you have the right car. And that's why customers are just coming back and back again. And also because they help you take care of your current car with a fantastic service department. With reminding you about your state inspection. That might be coming up soon. Oil changes. Simple as that. Or you have to have a big repair on your car. They're all there for you at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. We'll hear from Neil Coolong once again today, this week, latest on the NFL and the Steelers. I'm curious if Steve will ask him about the Eagle Saints trade, because, again, I thought it was a brilliant job by Howie Roseman. Yes, you have to turn it into good players with these draft picks, but... There's no doubt that Harry Roseman does a good job setting up his team for these situations. Now, can he just execute? That's the big question. But by far, it is a tremendous trade that he pulled off yesterday. But we'll see if we get any reaction there from Neil today. Because there's still plenty of stuff to talk about when it comes to the Steelers, too. As we get closer to the draft, a couple weeks away now. And Brian Tripp will join us once again, talking Frozen 4. So looking forward to that today. Scott Fransky, the radio voice of the Phillies, which you'll hear over on Eagle 107 beginning Friday afternoon for opening day. Phil's starting off the season with a weekend series with the Oakland A's, who have cleaned house this past week. Reminding me of another certain team in the western part of this state. But he'll join us at 4.06 on Thursday. Now, yes... Tiger might probably going to be playing as of now. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But first, I do want to talk about the tremendous national title game last night, which caps off what was a pretty fun tournament overall, as we've talked about before. That What you saw from Kansas in that second half is, again, why I have liked them all year. Again, depth, and with that depth of talent, and with that, that is a team that can, when it has to, turn on the gas pedal at any point and put the hammer down. Now, they had to in a in the biggest comeback effort 
in championship game history. He's down 16 points from the first half after I thought I didn't recognize that team in the first half, to be honest with you. Sure, he saw some splash plays early on here and there. They had the nice jump, but I mean, this that was a team that they were missing easy shots, very sloppy with the basketball, with turnovers, had a lot of defensive lapses, couldn't really guard the three-point line that well. North Carolina, of course, with all their big guys, hit a lot of big shots to pull away in that first half. But then the second half, you saw what this Kansas team has been capable of and has shown throughout the course of the season and the course of the tournament, where they just come at you 110 miles an hour and just take over the game, and that's what they did. Now, of course, credit to North Carolina. They kept on in it and were a three-ball away from tying the game. And even, and even that, Kansas was not very clean in trying to close out that game last night because you give North Carolina an extra chance in the waiting seconds to get that tying three. But I definitely agree. That is one of the better national championship games to go down in the history of March Madness. Especially that final 10 minutes. The, the back and forth and then everything coming down to, again, that, that, those last, that last sequence there. It was it was so much fun to watch. It was tremendous, tremendous oh. basketball. I mean, Tigers in, huh? Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. Let's wait till he plays eighteen holes for real. Then then come back to me. But cool, he's hey. gonna he's gonna play. ESPN sitting there jumping for joy. They got the first two rounds. They'll be jumping for joy regardless. I was just thumbing around getting audio for the show. And, of course, first take, which is actually something that this is better than what they normally do anyway, which is just go Stephen A goes off for no reason, is they actually played the entire Tiger press conference, which is nauseating in itself, but it, it, it would be better content than having Stephen A just go off for on about a bunch of nothing for two hours. Why was it nauseating to play the entire press conference? I mean, I get you have to. I get it's Tiger. I know why we're talking about it. And if he were to somehow win this thing, then it's tremendous for golf. And it, I'm sure, it, I'm sure it would be fun to watch. I, there's no, I'm not, I'm not, you know, quarreling there. But just like the constant, oh, what's Tiger gonna do? Oh, what's Tiger gonna do? Like enough. And this is where I'm saying before, Steve, that this is where golf's gonna have this major problem when he eventually can't play anymore. Okay. We're, we're talking about a guy that brought the game so much turmoil lately, then he gets into a crash because he stupidly is traveling 115 miles an hour, whatever it was, in a, in a 50 zone in California. He does, he, all this turmoil he did to himself, and yet we're continuing to give him all this coverage of, oh my God, he's coming back, and he's going to play in the Masters. Like, that's what's nauseating it to, for me about this whole thing. Nothing is nauseating to me at all. I think he's. I mean, have I ever been a Tiger fan? No. But is is he is he good for the game? Yeah. You know, look, he's an artist in this whole thing. I got it. Clearly. Damn. And he's the kind. Of, what makes the great figures so attractive to people are two reasons. 
the legion of fans that want them to win and the legion of fans that want to see them fail. So let's take your guy, Tom Brady. You want to watch Brady play and you want him to lose. That's why you watch him. But come to think of it, there's a long list of people you want to see lose. So <laughs> I've been able to tolerate him now that he's been a buck, but it, I, I was fully on that bandwagon when he was with New England. But I'm saying, well, you see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what draws people in. There are people that are drawn. They want to see him. There are people in New England that want to see him win with Tampa Bay because they love him. And there are other people like, oh, I'm sick of him. I want to see him lose. I Now, when Philadelphia won the Super Bowl, you know, it wasn't just that the Eagles won the Super Bowl, but they beat Brady. Exactly. Right? And that's the way it is with all, almost every LeBron. People will watch the finals because they want they think LeBron's the greatest player ever, and they want to see Miami win. They want to see Cleveland win. They want to see the Lakers win. And there's a group of people out there that I'm rooting for the, the Spurs. I'm rooting for the Mavericks. I'm rooting for the Warriors. I mean, they, they want LeBron to lose. But it draws viewers. And that's what happened with Tiger, okay? There's a legion of people out there. And over time, he's become a more sympathetic figure. That's what's happened. Now, as for last night, great basketball game. But I'm really surprised that the key factor was never brought up by the TV people last night. Hasn't been brought up by anybody. I, I don't get it. I've done this for a long time in my career. And the Armando Baycott situation, normally when you are coming off a severe joint injury, ankle, knee, you know, I mean, not severe to the point where you're out weeks, but you're going to come back and try and play as quickly as possible on it. As somebody who's done this a long time, normally what happens is that player gives it a go in the pregame warm-up. They can give it a go, and on adrenaline, they can get through the first half. The reason I thought Kansas had an absolute chance down 15 at halftime was this. And I said this to my wife. I said, the problem is, I said, look at number five for North Carolina. I said, he's now going to sit in the locker room for 15 minutes. I said, and he's going to stiffen up, and it's going to be a gigantic problem. I said, I said, if Kansas can catch them early in the second half, I said, I said, watch the first five minutes. Well, I'm watching the first five minutes. Baycock can't move. Baycock can't jump. And Kansas banked inside, 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 because he couldn't come over and help. And it just changed everything because the ankle stiffened up on him at halftime. And for some reason, I don't understand why nobody talked about it. Because CBS did a great job of setting the tone in the beginning of the game that, hey, look, uh, he's hurt. He's sore. Uh, he's limping in warm-up. Tracy Wilson did a marvelous job, good piece of reporting. And CBS followed it up. 
But I'm surprised that it, like there wasn't more like when they get to halftime. Hey, look, let's see how Baycott's going to do now that he's sitting for a period of time. Nobody talked about it, and I kept thinking this is going to be a big problem because guess what? 15's not enough if he's not right, and he wasn't right in the second half. All you've heard is he's got his 31st double double. He had that at halftime, guys. In the second half, he had three points and five rebounds. That's all he had. I think, no, three points and four rebounds in the second half. That's all he had. And no blocked shots. It changed everything when he couldn't play at even at 80%. He went from 80% down to about the 40 to 50% range and really was no more than functional the second half. In fact, I'm really surprised, Matt, that wasn't brought up by anybody. You know? And that is interesting, too, because even in in David McCormick's hook shot to make it a three-point game, I mean, they took advantage of that. Because Bannon couldn't stop him. There was no way he was going to stop him. I mean, Baycock couldn't stop him, couldn't stop Brown driving to the bucket. They they set things up, and he'd come over, and guess what? He'd be on McCormick or Lightfoot, whomever, and normally Baycott is so good, boom, he can come over and he can help. Didn't have enough to get over and help. And you watch, he couldn't jump in the second half. And I felt awful for him because the kid's a heck of a player. He really is. But that's why it was at halftime, and I'm like, and I looked over, and I'm thinking, I don't think 15's enough. If if that kid is not, if that kid's going to come out. I was wanting to see the first five minutes of it, if that thing was stiff or not. In the first five minutes, I'm like, oh, my God, he can't move. It made, to me, it was the whole difference in the game. Because he is really a terrific player, and, and he was forcing bad shots by Kansas around the rim in the first half. And suddenly he, he couldn't jump, he couldn't move, you know, with the same efficiency. He just couldn't, and it changed everything. I mean, suddenly Kansas was getting a good quality of shot, then it set up everything else for them. Um, uh, by the way, extremely well-officiated re- game last night. So, very well-officiated. I thought Terry, uh, Ron Gruber has done games before. Jeff Anderson, I've seen Terry Oglesley a lot. But well-officiated. But Tiger's playing, and Matt is disgusted. Disgusted that Tiger Woods is playing. I think I uh, characterized that properly, didn't I? No good! No good! No good! He's a former champion who didn't knock anybody out of the field by showing up. Yet Matt is furious that Tiger Woods has ruined his weekend. Ah, Okay. I mean, ruined your weekend. I mean, you feel better, for example, if uh, Bryson DeChambeau wins, or no? Well, I'm not a fan of his either. But funny, I mean, he speaks highly of you. <laughs> <laughs> Come back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Mm-hmm. When car repairs get difficult, well, I. 
just don't know. Um, me neither. We get good. Sunbury Motors. More than quality new and used cars, Sunbury Motors specializes in complicated auto repair diagnosis. They can handle intricate repairs and even complete auto body with service open Monday through Friday, 7 till 4. And Sunbury Motors has made simple repairs easy. Maintaining your vehicle is necessary. Finding the time to do it is difficult. Welcome to Sunbury Motors Quick Lane. Open 7 till 4, Monday through Friday. Just walk in or call ahead. Relax in their remodeled waiting room with Wi-Fi, beverages, and snacks. Will Sunbury Motors factory train techs take care of your oil change, tire alignments, brakes, and inspections. Quick Lane, 6.30 to 6, Monday through Friday, Saturday, 6.30 till 2. Sunbury Motors, Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury. And Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We take the... Mm. Mm. Out of auto repair. Well, as of right now, I feel like I am going to play. As of right now. Um, I'm going to play nine more holes tomorrow. My recovery has been good. I've been very excited about how I've recovered each and every day, and that, that's been the, the, the challenge. That's why I came up here and, and tested out for 27 holes and at home testing it. But it's the recovery. You know, how, how am I going to get all the you know, swelling out and recover for the next day? And uh, my team has been fantastic and worked very hard. Um, so we've got another day of nine more holes, and uh, then come game time. And that no, is... No, senor! No, senor! Boy. Do you wake up just, like, consumed with hate, or...? <laughs> I'm just asking. I'm just asking. I'm worried about you. Um, <laughs> the um, he's going to um, he's going to give it a shot, and I think that's the key part he talked about the right there. It's so important. That is the recovery part of it. Uh, you've got to have the ability to somehow bounce back the next day, and. If you can't do it, you can't play. And the fact that he's been able to bounce back from it uh, and be ready to go the next day has been key. Look, it adds more intrigue to what's going on. Um, now, there are some haters out there. There are. Wonder. I wonder where they might be located. <laughs> <laughs> Get your little Luke now. Daddy hates Tiger Woods. Right, right there. <laughs> hey, well. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Tiger Woods Hotline. Hold, please. I'm surprised there any, isn't one by now. Any other complaints out there? This is the only this is my lone one for today. Gee, and I thought you'd be complaining about how Jalen Hurts is now on the clock. To me, that's what that trade was all about yesterday. I see I, I totally disagree with that notion. Oh, I I think he's on the clock. 
there are better quarterbacks in the next draft, not this one. Whoops. There are, but you can... (laughs) Yeah, there are. (laughs) But I think, I mean, as of right now, I think the Eagles know that they can try to build around Jalen Hurts right now and take advantage of his contract and then maybe move on after that. That I could see. Yeah. Yeah, one more season, that's three. Okay. Then guess what? Move on. Package the two picks, move on. Because, I mean, the picks they have in the first round are late, right? Right. This year, is right now, it's 15 and 18 for this draft. Plus, you have two third-round picks now. Oh, wow. Great. Hmm. Every article I read, hey, the Saints made out great. <laughs> Every article I read, the Saints made out great. Okay. I've heard the I've heard the complete opposite. I've heard that oh, Howie hosed the reading, Saints. You're, you're reading all the Philly stuff. I'm reading like national people actually know football. All right, so uh, <laughs> come on, come on. I was, I was watching Good Morning Football this morning. They were saying the same thing. So there's some national people that think the Eagles won this trade. I agree. Damn, why not? Nobody wants anything. Don't be a fool. F O O L. Don't be a fool. There's no name attached to the pick. You can't win that. You can't win something where it's just a number. You think they won because they got a number? What's the name attached to the pick? Tell me. All right, then I'll tell you if they won the trade or not. Can you tell me the name attached to the pick? As of right now, no. No, exactly. Guess what? You didn't win anything. Who cares? It's a trade. You got to put like names attached to picks. So who's? What's the name? What are the names attached to the picks? Right now, nobody. <laughs> nobody won any trade. <laughs> nobody won any trade. My goodness. For all we know, Justin Jefferson's available, and they picked Jalen Rager. And it comes down to it, then we'll criticize Howie for it, as we've done in the past. But Howie, as he's done before, is, but, this is, this is his wheelhouse you, of setting but, himself up. He just doesn't execute but, it. But you see my point. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. My, that's, I mean, I'm trying to make a point here. How can you say somebody wins a trade when they're just numbers on the board? Now, if they made a trade and got themselves, like, into the first, like, two or three picks, well, now you're looking at the various options saying, wow, they've got a chance to really do something here. Now, I, now they've got a different viewpoint of it. But they got two this year. They got two next year. They're all middle of the pack picks. It just depends on who they pick, and who the Saints pick. Right. Part of it's who the Saints pick. I mean, that's that's what you got to keep in mind. Like, who do you pick? 
that now, when names are attached to it, now you've got a different feel. And, like, and it's not just like, don't just look at the pick that they make in the third round. you got to look specifically at the pick they make with the Saints pick in the third round. And if that guy doesn't make the team, then what, who cares? Right? I mean, you hate my common sense approach. You hate that. <laughs> no, it, it makes sense. Well, I know. It's yeah. a fact. I, I hear you. It's a fact, Jack. It is a, it is a fact. <laughs> it's a fact, Jack. I think they're looking at the two drafts, and next year they think there's more in it. That's why they wanted the additional pick. Now, that part's smart. But you have to have some names attached to it. And I'm telling you, Jalen Hurts is on the clock. All right? He better do a good job this year. Because if he does a good job, they can take the two picks and do whatever they want with them next year. If he doesn't do a good job, they may have to take those, package them, and move up to get a quarterback. You hate my common sense approach. You hate that. It bothers you. <laughs> it frustrates you. We won the trade. Oh, really? Who'd you acquire? Well, nobody yet. Well, wait a minute. Okay. Well, <laughs> you don't have any names? No. Yeah, hopefully, we'll have good names. See, I frustrate you. <laughs> so let's talk about the Frozen Four. Brian Tripp's going to Boston. He'll call the Frozen Four this weekend. And uh, Minnesota, Minnesota State, Denver, Michigan. So, Brian, at least you're familiar with the teams there. Great to have you with us. Glad the first game isn't until 5 o'clock on Thursday. I think the Big Cat will be off the course by then. At that point, Big Cat will be done at that stage. Um uh, Joey LaCava will say, hey, look, I'm packing up the bags, and uh, you can go do the Frozen Four. Uh, th- th- this might be the easiest one you've done. You know half the teams. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Minnesota, what, Minnesota, Michigan, you know half the teams. Yeah, and Minnesota State was in it last year, and Denver I've had before in the past, too. It actually is a great field. Um, not only do you have, I think, a potential rematch between Minnesota and Michigan, and an all-Big Ten championship, but Denver with the history of their program and Minnesota State going for their first national championship back-to-back Frozen Fours. Um, no local teams in Boston. I think going into it, you're hoping that a Northeastern or a BU, UMass, someone local, get someone on the east side up there in Boston playing at the Garden. But really a, a great field with three true blue bloods in Minnesota, Michigan, and Denver, and 41 NHL draft picks combined between the four schools on the ice. It's going to be a great field. What are you talking about? We got the bean pot. I mean, what the... <laughs> <laughs> we got the bean pot tournament. We're good. Yeah. Well, the schools that are there, I'll tell you this, though. The schools that are there have all had success in Boston before. This is the eighth yeah. time there. Denver's won twice there. Michigan won its last title in 1998 there, and Minnesota won its first title in Boston with Brooks is there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Minnesota, Minnesota State. When you've talked to the Minnesota State people, 
what kind of, you know how did they view Minnesota is this a is this a big rival for rivalry for them is this a statement for them I think in some ways it is Minnesota is the flagship school of the state of Minnesota but if you look at the last 5 10 15 years the the goal always for her brook and this is why he left Minnesota to go coach at St. Cloud State, was to build the entire state into the state of hockey and give programs that are a Division II or a Division III school an opportunity to compete at the highest level and open more doors for players to play collegiately and then hopefully professionally as well. Um, Minnesota is still the blue blood program in the state, but because of the success of Minnesota Duluth, St. Cloud State, Minnesota State, I think the landscape has shifted a bit. It's also changed because Minnesota now plays in the Big Ten, so you don't have those in-state rivalry games in conference as often. Minnesota still plays them in non-conference. But I still think there's a little brother feeling to it. Look, Minnesota State knocked Minnesota out last year in the regional championship to get to the Frozen Four. Right. Um, So, yeah, it's going to be a good matchup. But I think that, that perception has started to change but it's still Minnesota. It's still the Gophers. All right, so let's take this, since it's in Boston, we'll take this from a Boston point of view. Mm-hmm. The Bruins back in the in the 70s were so explosive offensively with Bobby Orr, Phil Esposito, Kenny Hodge, Johnny Busey. You just go through like a long list of great offensive players that the Bruins had. Eddie Westfall, you know, Don Marcotte, yep. you name it, okay? That people... Sometimes took Jerry Cheevers for granted, and it turned mm-hmm. out Jerry Cheevers was a tremendous goaltender. So with these four teams, obviously they all could put the puck in the net, but what does each bring to the table in the net to back it up? Well, the great thing about the game between Denver and Michigan is you have two six foot five, six to six Swedes going against each other: Magnus Krona for Denver and Eric Portillo for Michigan. I think both are really good goaltenders. Their numbers would indicate that. If Portillo has a weakness and Michigan has a weakness, it is when he comes out to play the puck. So that would be the scouting report on those two. I think they wash in that. I think they're pretty even there between Portillo and Krona. Play a very similar game. Um, And then Minnesota State and Minnesota. Minnesota, the story is probably the most well-told story at this point, but they're – starting goaltender Jack LaFontaine, Richter mm. Award winner last yep. year, Big Ten Goaltender of the Year, goes and signs with Carolina. Yep, gone. An unknown kid comes in, Justin Close, had only played in five games and 40 minutes over his first two seasons, and he's been unbelievable for them. Uh, had a shutout in the regional, and now he's there in goal for Minnesota. But again, this is his first time on this stage. Meanwhile, Minnesota State has Dryden McKay, who's named after Ken Dryden, yeah. and he plays like him sometimes. He holds the NCAA record for shutouts. He holds the record for wins in a single season. He's up for the Hobie again this year. He's one of the three Hobie hat-trick finalists, and he's done it all. Um, the question is, what is he at the next level? Look, a guy's numbers are his numbers, and I think he started to answer those questions. He's a little bit undersized, but the same can be said about close. So you have two six foot six Swedes going in one game, mm-hmm. and then you have the unknown quantity and close who all he has done since taking over the net and has won for Minnesota against the guy who's been the, the proven goaltender for four years for Minnesota State. Ken Dryden is to Boston, by the way, what Bucky <laughs> Dent is to Boston. 
1970. Bobby Orr, though, Steve. Yeah. Good you mentioned Bobby Orr because Denver's leading scorer and another one of the, the all three Hobie hat trick finalists, yeah. Ben Myers, Dryden McKay, and Bobby Orr Brink plays for Denver. <laughs> he is named after Bobby Orr. He is their top scorer, and uh, he'll be there in the Frozen Four, obviously, as well. 1971, the Bruins set every scoring record in the NHL. They had four 100-point scores. First round, they played Montreal. Rookie Ken Dryden. They the Canadians win in seventh game in seven games. He's standing <laughs> on his head. Dryden becomes the first player, and I think he's the only player mm-hmm. to win the uh, Conn Smythe Trophy as the playoff MVP. Yep. One year before he wins the Rookie of the Year award. <laughs> he only played in six games in the regular season that year. You can look it up. I don't have to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I already the encyclopedia just told me. Okay, I just you know, but it was just amazing. Uh, so I mean, that, I, if you mention Ken Dryden, do it in hushed yeah. tones. <laughs> Remember where you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be looking over my shoulder as I say it. Hey, Ken Dryden, <laughs> Kenny Dryden. Ken Dryden, about, man, he's great. Uh, uh, guess what? I didn't like his brother Dave Dryden either with the Oilers. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> His brother did play for Edmonton. All right. Um, all right. So, Minnesota, Minnesota State. Key to that matchup, then we'll go Michigan-Denver key to mat- that matchup. Oh, man, that's a really tough question. I think all four teams playing here are really, really similar. I, I would say the one advantage Minnesota State has is just the experience of playing in a Frozen Four last year. A lot of these teams that I've learned here are doing this for four years. The thing they talk about the most is just how do you handle – all the extra attention of friends and family wanting tickets and there's events to go and run around to when you're there and then still to enjoy the experience because it's hard to get there. So you want your players, you don't want to lock them in the hotel the entire time, but how do you balance it? Um, I think there are two teams. If you look up and down the lineup, they both can score. They both have depth on D. They're tough to score against. Goaltending has been really good. Special teams has been pretty much a wash. I don't know that there's anything on paper that could decide between these two. And I feel the same way about the four-team field. I felt like last year, Steve, that the winner of the UMass-Minnesota Duluth game would win the national championship. Right. And UMass beat St. Cloud State 5-0 for the title. Yeah. I, I honestly, this one, I have no idea what decides it. I have no idea what decides any of the games. Um, on paper, I think Minnesota and Minnesota State are really evenly matched. I would say Minnesota has had more opportunities to be challenged throughout the course of the season, though, because of their schedule. But Minnesota State has been there before. So, so that would be you know, what you're looking at. One team has played a Big Ten schedule. The other team has played a CCHA schedule, uh, which isn't as competitive. Right. Okay. Uh, I have to ask you baseball. I mean, going down to Maryland, beating 23rd-ranked Maryland, um, yeah, they lost two out of three. But, geez, Brian, that I mean, that's – that's a step in the something. right direction. Yeah, no doubt. And I think it's more so than just the win on Saturday. I thought they played really well on Friday. Yeah. And you know what? They they lost on Sunday, 7-2 to the final. But I don't think they played poorly. Was it their worst of the three games? Yeah. But they didn't throw the ball around. They only made one error all weekend. They cut down on the wild pitches. I thought they were competitive. They had consistent approaches at the plate, one through nine. Were really good situationally. 
And I thought they gave Maryland in all three games anything and everything yeah. that they could handle. And and look, Maryland's a tough team because their three starters are good, and they're going to eat innings, and they're going to rack up the strikeout. And Penn State didn't get frustrated by that. They had to come from behind on Friday, had to come from behind on Saturday, found a way to do it. And then Sunday they gave up two home runs with two outs in innings that resulted in five of the seven runs that Maryland scored. So that game was probably closer than the final score indicated to. So, yeah, it was, I mean, number one, it's great to win the game, and that's a big boost for a ball club. And to go on the road and take one in this league, and now I think Maryland's probably the toughest team on their schedule this year. They don't play Iowa. They don't play Nebraska. They don't play Michigan. Um, you know, they want to take it one game at a time. But looking at it, they got a fairly favorable road here, and I think that gives them a lot of confidence that they can beat anyone moving forward. And now they see the formula to do it, play as a team, buy into what the approach needs to be at the plate. Um, and it took every single person on the team, the bullpen on the bench to win that day. They pushed all the right buttons. It was really impressive. It's a really good sign for a young team. Are you free in the 23rd? 23rd. Yeah. Blue White game. Oh, yes. I, I will be there. <laughs> I hey, will be there. <laughs> hey, two of your, uh, two, so, no, I am not free because it's already on my calendar. Two, I mean, two of your good friends were kind of counting on you being there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll let Bob and Roger know that I'm going to be there. Oh, that's just... <laughs> I mean, I, now I just feel like I need... Now I feel like I need surgery to have the knife removed. Oh. And wait till I tell Jack. Right? Oh. You will be on the oh. you'll be on the outs. I know I'm gonna be charged double for firewood next year. <laughs> <laughs> it's an inside joke. We're not gonna get into that. All right. <laughs> That's an inside joke. All right. <laughs> Between the three of us. Right. Oh believe me, Roger Bob like I still see the confusion on Roger's face. All right, so <laughs> I just push a button. What? All right, my friend. My friend. Great yep. weekend. Great weekend. Enjoy it. Uh, you'll be brilliant as always. I'll tell all the relatives, all your friends up there, you say hi. Oh my god, how are you? How are you? How are you? Steve from Penn State. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. He comes up here all the time he's coming up he's, he's coming up from the open <laughs> it's, it's in brookline right near where the kennedys used to live <laughs> all right take care see you man all right uh, again um i've been going through and the, the the draft i don't see any names i just see numbers I'll have to triple check that. That's I don't see any names. Now, eventually, do they put names there? Like, say, for example, like uh, out of TCU, Jalen Rager. It's not good. Yeah, then then we'll have to criticize. But for now, we're all we're all okay. What, what are we talking about? Then you'll criticize. What does that mean? He's just got to finish the job now. He set himself up nicely. Now you got to finish the job and go get good players. Yeah, go. but you criticize you criticized like before it even starts. Oh, given his recent track record, he speaks highly of you. <laughs> so you told me. 
Scott Fransky, by the way, is going to join us on the show on um, Thursday, by the way. Looking forward to it. You know. I never saw people get so excited over a number. Oh, it's a steal. Uh, okay, who'd you choir? It doesn't matter. We got we got great numbers. What? <laughs> I drive you nuts, don't I? You just give the other side to things. That's all. Tell me I'm wrong. No, you're not wrong. <laughs> then what's wrong with me saying it? There's nothing wrong with you saying it. No. To, to factually say they have two ones and two twos and puts them in a good, gives them a potential for it to be in a good spot. Accurate to say they they won the trade. You can't say they won the trade. You don't know who the names are. <laughs> I mean, really. Hey, initially the Redskins thought they won the trade to get RG RG three, right? Fair point. Did they win the trade in the end? Mm. No, they didn't. In fact, I mean, you go through, I think it was they traded with the Rams, right? Rams got some pretty good talent out of that deal. And after the first year, it looked like the red, the uh, red, the then Redskins won it, right? After the first year. Second year when he got hurt, then all of a sudden the wheels start coming off the wagon. And you can't, you can't count on that. But you make trades like that, you just don't, you know, you got to give it a couple of years to breathe. I never declared draft day victory. Oh my God, look what we did. Right? And all of a sudden you got Jalen Rager and they got Jefferson. I don't think you won. <laughs> well, we knew that one from the get go. Well, I did say that on draft day, but what I'm saying, you just can't do it based on draft position. Just based on draft position? I mean, depend, I mean you don't even know who's going to be available when you pick. For all you know, the guy they really want is going to get picked by somebody else. I mean, the Giants really wanted Devontae Smith. The Eagles, boom, made a great move, hopped over, and they picked him. And the Giants ended up with Tony. Sorry, that's a consolation prize. The Eagles completely bamboozled the Giants on that one. Okay, that's an Eagles victory. Making a trade three weeks out and nobody knows who the names are? I'd slow down on declaring victory. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I kind of take a little easy on victory until I know exactly what the names are. And then after on that Friday, we may look at each other and go, hey, you know what? The Eagles did darn well with what they did. Or I may look at it and go, <laughs> you got to be kidding me, really? And then you'll be going over to CVS. <laughs> well, hopefully not, but we'll see. Is Walgreens an option? 